Welcome back to The Digital Dive, a podcast about technology. In this week's episode, I'm actually your only host. Normally, it's myself and Darsh, but Darsh is taking a much-needed vacation. I'm jealous, but I'm stoked for him. And so I thought that we would just do a solo episode where I answer a bunch of questions. Obviously, with this podcast, we talk a ton about technology, which is so fun for us. But I think... um, it's important that you also know about us as people. One of my good friends, Elliot Choi, started a podcast and they've been doing these things called origin episodes where they basically tell experiences that made them who they are. So I'm not going to dive that deep, but I am going to share a little bit more than I normally do in this podcast. And so it's going to be a personal, vulnerable chat between myself and you and also a ton of questions from you guys that um, you sent in on Twitter. So that's the deal. We're going to just roll the intro music real quick and then we'll hop right into it. Okay, so I thought that for this episode, what would be cool to do would be to start a little bit on like the lighter side and then dive into some more personal questions. Um, so I'm just going to do like one lighter question to kind of get us going and then we'll we'll do a mix of like deep and not deep questions as we go through. All right, so the first question comes from David and I'm probably not going to mention everyone's name going through, but we'll see, maybe. And the question is, what social media platform do you get the most engagement? What brings you the most gigs slash work? And when I get up in the morning and reach for my phone, what do I check first? Okay. He was like, I know that's their questions, but they're all kind of related. And I agree with you, David, they are. Okay. So what social media platform do I get the most engagement on? Definitely YouTube. That's um, where I would get like the most impressions, viewership, comments, et cetera. Followed shortly thereafter, I think by Twitter, there obviously is a huge gap in between the two, but my Twitter surprisingly gets like almost a million impressions, if not more every month, which is crazy, or at least it has been for the last few months. Obviously, it fluctuates a little bit with uh, tech season and if there are any banger tweets, because I don't really put much thought into what I tweet, kind of just tweet how I feel. The next question is, which brings you the most gig slash work? And honestly, it's hard for me to know. If I had to guess, I would say it's YouTube. But most of the time, people don't actually tell me where they found me. They're just like, hey, and then they write an email. You know what I'm noticing, guys? Because Darsh is in here, I have no accountability to not just try to perfect every sentence I'm saying. So I'm restarting sentences a lot more. I'm going to try not to do that. I'm going to try to just be authentic. Obviously when Darsh is here, we're just, it's a conversation. So I'm just basically going to try to have a conversation with myself. That's interesting. And you guys should let me know how I've done on Twitter as we go through. Um, last question from David is when you get up in the morning and reach your phone, what do you check first? Okay. So interestingly, I've noticed that when I go on social media right in the morning, it actually is very bad for my attention span. Like I notice that it's just too much cheap dopamine and then it's hard for me to focus on anything for the rest of the day. Like if I start out my day on social media, I've kind of effed the day. And so knowing that I'm really trying to hold myself accountable to not go on it right away. Like I really want to spend the first 30 minutes of the day not on my phone, like showering, getting ready for the day, maybe like cooking some breakfast and then going on my phone. I feel like that's a pretty good plan. I've been successful with it sometimes and then I kind of forgot that I was doing that. So then I forgot to do it. But it's a goal. So I'm going to try to do it more. The thing is like, and this is going to, I mean, this is going to sound dumb, but like I get a lot of validation from social media because you guys are always saying nice stuff. And so it's kind of nice to see that first thing in the morning. But I also know that there's a quote that's like, don't start your day in someone else's life, which is like when you're on social media, that's kind of what you're doing because you're watching like them with their boyfriend and them like what they're eating for breakfast. And it can like give you like this feeling like you're behind in life or that like they have something you don't or that like you're not working hard enough. And so I am trying hard to break that habit. And I'll, I'll keep you guys posted on that if you care at all about that journey. I know it's like a universal experience. All right, the next quick question is, have I tried the nothing launcher? And the answer to that is no. That was a pretty easy one to answer. All right, I think we'll do, should we do a deep question? 
you know, I'll do a deep question right after this one, which is, will you do anything besides the podcast and the YouTube channel with your career? Um, and this is kind of a, this is a deep one, I guess. It's, it's a nuanced one and it relates to a bigger theme that I'll mention in a second, but my personality type, and I've always kind of been this way, is a very future oriented, meaning like I live a lot of my life in the future, which is a good thing and also a bad thing. It means that I'm very goal oriented and I'm like, I have a lot of conviction that the things that I want to do, I'll, I'll figure out a way to do them and I'll work really hard until I accomplish them. And I've kind of had that my whole life, like even when it seemed unlikely that some things were going to happen, like I just believed that they would. I don't know why. I think a lot of it is like my parents just being excellent role models and like telling me how great I was even when I wasn't. Uh, I think that that like plays a huge part into your self-esteem. And I also think a little bit of, of it is just like a personality trait. And so the reason I'm mentioning this, and I'll mention it again in a second, and I'll explain why I've like really realized this about myself, is because I have a lot of future goals for the channel and my career, et cetera, and like a very clear path in my head of what I think is going to happen. But I'm also fully aware that that's going to change over time and that new things are going to come in that are exciting that I'm going to want to pursue. And so the simple answer is obviously YouTube and the podcast is the main thing I'm focused on. And I think that there will be more stuff, but it's all going to be, at least in this current moment, I think it's all going to be related to those two things because those are the things that bring me the most joy in terms of like career stuff. And so I'm definitely just going to keep pursuing those. Obviously, Colbert is one that I've mentioned as well. And so both those things, there's more stuff to come. It's funny because I was actually having a conversation with someone recently and they were like, what's, what's after YouTube? Like, and they were kind of, I guess, not intentionally, but kind of dismissing the fact that YouTube is a career and it's hard. And like content creators and YouTubers are some of the hardest working, smartest people I know. And I say that genuinely, not about myself, but about like other people. And, and so I think sometimes people can kind of be dismissive and think of this as like a launch pad versus the destination. And so there's definitely a lot more stuff that I want to do, but I'm also aware that YouTube is like one of the most difficult, challenging jobs to have and keep and thrive in. And so I just want to keep doing it. On that note, this is kind of a question that no one asked me, but I'm going to ask myself because I want you guys to know it. The reason why I've noticed I'm so like future oriented is because I've really been on like the self-awareness journey for like the last year of like learning more about myself, trying to figure out like what gets me excited, what I don't like, what are my downfalls and character flaws, how can I fix those things? Definitely like very into like the self-development niche on YouTube, as I'm sure some of you can tell by what I talk about in the podcast. But I think that sometimes with content creators, it's really like you just see one aspect, like just me talking about technology. And so you may not know about my other interests, but I there obviously are a lot of other ones. Obviously, I'm very work and career focused, but there's this YouTuber that I'm friends with named Eric Wen, and he's a personality analyst where he basically makes breakdowns of celebrities and their charisma and what personality types they are and how those personality types inform their personality superpowers, meaning things that they're good at and then their pitfalls, things that they're bad at. And so he actually analyzed my personality recently. It was genuinely one of the most insightful calls I've ever had with anyone. I learned so much about myself and I also felt very seen. Like he was like, you maybe you feel this way. And I was like, oh my God, I do feel that way. No one's ever said that to me before. That's so cool. I don't know how you knew that. And so for anyone interested or curious, my personality type is an ENFJ, which I'm sure for some people this feels like, I can't think of what it's called. Like this is the star signs horoscope things that people think is like BS and like people are really into it. I'm sure some people feel that way about personality types too, but I, I buy into it because a lot of um, the traits are things that I have. So if you're interested, it's quote unquote, an idealist organizer driven to implement their vision for what's best for humanity. And it's so like, that's the positive, super future oriented, extroverted, intuitive feeling, etc. And so they call it the protagonist personality type which I'm not trying to gas myself up here, but that's just like what the 16 personalities calls it. So, so basically like some of the strengths are like being passionate and receptive and altruistic and charismatic, I hope. I don't know. That's like the general personality type. Uh, 
thing and being like super goal oriented and ambitious. But some of the downfalls can be being overly empathetic, like basing like your emotions on how other people feel, being overly intense, being overly idealistic, being maybe unrealistic, like putting too much pressure on yourself to get everything done and then being disappointed when you can't. A lot of the stuff I really relate to. And so anyways, it was just really cool. I, I feel like I learned a lot about myself. I'd highly recommend everyone take this personality test. You may just like either confirm what you already think about yourself or learn something new, but that kind of leads into this whole like goal thing. I've always been super goal oriented. Like my earliest memory of like being entrepreneurial was like when I was eight years old, I sold bracelets with my best friend. We didn't make much money, but we went door to door and we knocked and we tried to get people to buy the bracelets and we were donating the money to the ASPCA. And so like from like a really young age, I've always had like this charitable, but also like entrepreneurial spirit. It relates a lot to what I do now. And yeah, so I just thought it was cool. I wanted to share that with you guys, but that relates to the fact that I kind of always need to have a goal or something that I'm pursuing or working towards because that gives me a lot of fulfillment. It's one of the things. Okay, that's a deeper question. Now let's do another one. If you could work for a tech company, which one would you work for and why? Okay, so obviously my first choice would be NBT, but if we're not doing a dumb cop-out answer, Will, um, what I would say is my dream company to work at when I was younger was Google. From a company culture perspective and innovation perspective, what they actually work on perspective, like I think that they are really leading the way in advertising, but also in so many other fields like that are less known because they're such a profitable company. They're able to invest in things that aren't profitable, like flood detection or other things that actually help society. And so I think it would still be Google, but obviously my dream job is what I'm doing right now. So yeah, I feel really blessed and grateful to say that. Okay. Will you open a community Discord server anytime soon? All right, so there is no digital dive community Discord, and I don't think we'll be doing that anytime soon because it just feels like too early to like segment the audience like that, but there is an MBT one. And so if you want to join the MBT one, I'll try to link it in the show notes below. It runs pop-up style, so it's closed for most of the time, and then we'll open it up when there are like new video launches, logo launches, keynotes, et cetera. It's super fun, awesome way to engage the community, share exclusives, et cetera. Okay. I think for this podcast episode, we're going to take like two different breaks. So I'm going to take the first break right now just to give you a little music refresher. And then when we come back, we'll hop into more questions. All right. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Hope that was a nice reprieve for my voice. The next question here is, did you take any courses in video production while you were in school? And the answer to this is no. Uh, I didn't take any film production courses. I did take photography, actually. And I don't know if most people know that, but I did take like advanced photography for like four years, somewhere around there. I I can't remember the exact amount, uh, three or four years though. And I took it with one of my best friends. And it was actually like a pretty cool experience because obviously like video is my bread and butter. It's like the company... It's not only like how the company, like a huge part of the company's business, but also it enables literally everything from like creativity standpoint. And photography is also really important for like social media and thumbnails, et cetera. But it was never something that I knew how to do. And so I really learned a lot of it just by watching YouTube videos like Peter McKinnon. I learned about ISO and Aperture and shutter speed and all like the basics. And then it was a ton of experimenting and I just fell in love with the art of photography. And it's kind of one of those things where it's like, I kind of want to do it in secret sometimes. Like, I feel like when you're a content creator online, everything that you do becomes like, because your life is a lot of the times like a huge part of the content, everything that you do in your life can almost become content if you're not careful. And so like, I I kind of have a love hate with this because on the one hand, I'm like, oh, I want to share my like parts of my life online and like 
it's just like, I want to share this. Like I want people to know I'm doing it and I want to talk to other people that are interested. And so like, let me put this online. I want people to know what I'm doing. For example, like learning piano. But then I'm like, there's a part of me that it feels like it's a little performative. Like, oh, I'm, I'm playing piano right now. So I could take a picture of it and post it online. And so people are like, oh my God, good for you. Like pursuing a passion, you know? And so like, sometimes I do feel that way. And I think it's something that content creators feel a lot is how much do I share and how much do I just keep for just me, like just myself? And like, I know Justine has talked about this before of like certain hobbies that she'll never put online. Marquez has talked about this as well with like Ultimate Frisbee. Like once he opens the gates on that being part of the content, there's no going back. And so with photography, sometimes like if I shoot an awesome photo, I really want to share it online. But there is something where I'm like, oh, I should keep this for just me. So it becomes like I'm just doing it for the art form and not for the social media. And this isn't like exclusive to content creators. I think now with the rise of like social media and how much of our lives are performative online, we all feel this pressure even with our friends to constantly be living our best life and like, oh, we go out to brunch with a friend, let's post it. We take a vacation, let's post it. And I read an article recently that showed that if you go into an event with the intention of getting a cool Instagram shot from it, you actually enjoy the experience a lot less. And that made me really like recognize the fact that I'd really try not to do it. Like I never go to an event just for the photo, but I have in the past. And so it made me like really feel like documenting is important and I want to share my life and a lot of aspects of it. But I want to make sure that I'm always keeping in mind like there are certain things that like I just want to do just for me. Long way saying that photography is a huge passion of mine. I don't do it nearly as much as I want to, but I do like I want to go on a trip sometime and just like take a bunch of photos and not have the intention of posting them. Maybe I will post them, but go on the trip just with the intention of like taking the photos for me. I think Peter McKinnon talks about gifting your craft a lot. And like, I think there's something so beautiful about taking a photo and then giving it a print of it to someone as a gift. And so, yeah, I, I want to do that. So that's definitely a goal of mine that I want to pursue. So to go back to your question, the way I learned like photography and film was really online. Uh, just watching videos, trial and error. And you can kind of see my progression with it over the years. Like if you watch video number one and then you watch video number 10, you'll see a big difference. And then if you watch video number 50 and then hundred, like the difference is every week, something improved. And so I'm still learning now. Like I think the B-roll in the last video was significantly better than the B-roll in the video before that. So it, it's definitely a process, but photography was so fun to actually take in a traditional setting because I got to be around peers that were learning it at the same time. And I remember I took this one photo that I'm like so proud of and it was a product shot. And it was printed actually. And people were like, that looks like a commercial photo. And it was the first time that I really had felt validated for just like an art piece that I created. Cause a lot of the time, I don't know, I didn't feel confident in my photography ability. And so it was nice to hear, I guess. But most of all, it's just fun. I get in the flow state with it. It's a good time. And I feel like I'm so inexperienced with it that it, I feel like such a beginner that it's really fun to learn new skills with it and try out new things. Okay, sorry for the longest answer ever on that one. This is going to be a real joy to listen to during the revisions for edits, but hopefully it's fun for you guys. I hope. Fingers crossed. Okay, next question. What's your favorite phone of the year so far? All right, so it's 2022. I have to remember what phones came out this year. I'm going to go to the YouTube channel and just see what I've covered. Well, also, I want to just note as I'm searching for this, the thing that I also forgot to mention with the personality type and the thing that like really... I guess made me like be like, all right, this one resonates is that a huge part of your identity is work-related and that you often have trouble sharing things that aren't work-related with people. And that is definitely something that I'm actively working on all the time of like sharing more parts of my life, not online, but like with personal friends and family, like being super passionate about work and having it be a huge part of my identity, but not having it be like the only part of my identity, uh, working on that. And so, yeah, that was another thing that kind of sealed the deal on the ENFJ. But let me look at the videos. Okay, so, so far this year, I've covered the Moto G Stylus, the iPhone SE, the S22 Ultra, the S22 Regular, 
those are the main phones that I've covered so far. And so just to pick out of those, I think the S22 Ultra is probably the one. But iPhone SE is a great value, like simple phone. So yeah, that's what I would say. But there are a lot of new phones coming out. So I'm excited. Hopefully the second half of the year is busy and great. And yeah, just exciting. Okay, next question here. How do you balance YouTube and your personal life? And then we'll take a quick break and then I'll come back and I'll answer some more questions. Okay, how do I balance my YouTube channel and my personal life? I feel like we've talked about this one throughout the episode already so far, so I won't like harp on it, but I think that the challenge of being a content creator and a YouTuber, and I say challenge very lightly because I think I'm one of the most privileged people in the world to have this job and it is incredible. And every single day that I get to do it, I feel so grateful and working so hard right now to make it like sustainable reality. And it's amazing and so exciting and like just the greatest thing ever. Like I truly feel so passionate about it. I love it. Every part of it, truly. And so I want to make that clear before I talk about some of the things like the 1% of time where it's hard. I think that one of the challenges is that some of the time it can be like all encompassing or like all consuming where because, and this is, I think with any job that's like entrepreneurship or any job that you're passionate about, because you're so passionate about it and it's like your baby, there's not really ever a time when you're not thinking about it. Like there's never been a day since I started the channel seven years ago that I haven't thought about it. And that's pretty crazy. I was talking to a friend recently who has a very different relationship to work. And I don't think that it's any of a worse relationship. It's just a different one or like their jobs their job, but it's not like a huge part of their life. And when they're clocking out, they just don't think about their work. And it was a pretty cool conversation to have because I've never experienced that. And so they were like, yeah, like on the weekend, I, I never think about my job. And I was like, what? Like how? I just don't even get it, you know? So I think that that's one of the things it's like, that's amazing because I love it and it like drives me and makes me really excited. But I think sometimes it can feel stressful or overwhelming to constantly be thinking about what you have to do next to keep improving. And I think the other thing is that, and this is again, like not really something to complain about, but because so much of your life is online, Like sometimes when you meet new people, they can find out a lot more about you than you can find out about them initially. And so I think that that can make like maybe romantic relationships harder, like with just like meeting random people and even like friendships, I think. I I never tell anyone that I'm a YouTuber right away. And then it's like, oh, I'm not telling them a huge part about my identity, but I've experienced telling people I'm a YouTuber and then kind of feeling like that's maybe the only reason that they like me. And I can imagine it's much worse for creators with like millions of subscribers. But I think that that sometimes can be a challenge of like, oh, do they like me for me or do they like me for like, the fact that YouTube is now considered a cool job, you know, because there were times in my career early on where it was considered very lame and people actually kind of made fun of it. And so that now that the tides have turned a little bit on that, sometimes I'm worried about mentioning it right away. So I kind of don't. <laughs> but yeah, that's the answer to that one. You know, if you ever get in an Uber or something, I definitely don't mention it. I try to make my job like sound as uninteresting as possible. I'm like, oh, yeah, like. I edit videos sometimes, freelance editor, which is actually a pretty cool job, but I find that that doesn't kind of engage as many questions. All right, we're going to take a second quick break here, and then I'm going to answer some more questions. like this podcast episode has been a very intimate discussion so let me know on twitter if you find this interesting if maybe darsh should do one as well kind of feel like you can get to know us a little bit better that way the next question i'm going to answer is what is the experience like when you switch from an android phone back to the iphone and so i actually rarely do this because most of the time i just have two sim cards so i'm always like using them both at the same time but when i do switch or especially before i had two sim cards the main thing was like the apps 
Like it would be annoying to like find all the app counterparts on both the devices, like Dark Sky isn't available on Google, for example, anymore because Apple acquired it. Setting up like messages is also a little annoying because you have to like really make sure iMessage is off. And then other things like just getting used to the fact that Instagram's a little worse, Snapchat's worse, anything social media where you're sharing content is a little bit worse on Android. It's not as well optimized. And then also exciting things, right? Like Google Assistant being the much superior choice to Siri and having that built in. But overall, I would say when I set up any new phone, it's like 15 to 20 minute process, like even with the Android phones, because I'm always like making sure that they have all of my apps and are ready to go basically. And so I can kind of like restore from a backup, but then I perfect it a little bit and modify it. So yeah, that's the question on that one. Next question is, what is your current process for making YouTube videos? And so this has changed a lot over the last year because I've been expanding the team a bit with like research and writing and um, motion design, things like that. And so the answer here is actually kind of exciting. And it's mainly a very collaborative process now where I get to explore bigger ideas because I can work with the team to like research big ideas that I really want to explore, but I don't have time to dedicate 10 hours to the research alone. And then, so once we go through, like I kind of like solidify the story and like write and perfect it. Then when I'm on camera, the story definitely changes a lot as well. Like as I'm filming, I'm like, ah, I don't know. Like that did, that worked much better on paper than it did saying it. So I'll change that. So like I'll read the script one time through, kind of memorize it, then film. And I look at my phone like throughout the video, but most of it's like memorized kind of. I honestly don't know how it works because I only really read it once. But for some reason, like my short-term memory just kind of holds it. And then I rearrange things when I'm filming. I'm like, oh, it actually would be cool if this line was here. And then when I'm editing, I do the same thing. So as I'm editing, I go back through and I I watch the A-roll and I'm like, oh, actually, you know, like I don't think that line was needed. I feel like it was repeated because sometimes you can't really tell like they're I often say that the story is written three times. I guess once in the document first, then once when you're filming and then once in the edit. And so once I edit it, the next step is just the rough cut. So the rough cut edit is like a 30 minute to two hour process of just like nailing the piece of the story, getting that all in, sometimes adding the music, sometimes doing that later. If I have the time, I always add the music first because it really does inform the pacing of the video. I export it. I write like 20 to 30 graphic notes for it. And then I send that to my excellent motion designer. So I'm like, oh, like let's have the battery fill up this way. I'll sketch things out, write comments or link to inspiration. And uh, it's so cool because I have all these ideas for graphics, but I don't have any of the hard skills to like execute on them. And so he is so talented and he executes every time. And so we go through that, he'll send back the motion designs. I'll go through a revision process of a couple of rounds of like, oh, actually like let's maybe intro it like this or let's try this transition. I think it would be more dynamic, things like that. Sometimes like an idea won't pan out and then we'll have to modify it. I'll get that back. And then that's when the last edit comes into play. So put all of the motion design into the timeline, edit with the music again, then add the B-roll, other things like photos and things like that. Once the motion design is there, it's actually really helpful because then I can see which sections are already really visually interesting and which sections really would benefit from B-roll. And then it's uploaded. So that's kind of the process. Obviously, like the fact that I'm editing every single video is the biggest time, probably. I think probably the biggest thing is like the idea and the writing process, but then the editing process is like, the second largest amount of time because I really work to kind of like make every second add to the video. And so when I'm editing, I'm editing with that type of laser vision. Okay, so that is that is the process question. The second to last question that we'll answer here is looking at the tech landscape, what's one thing that you think tech YouTube does really well? And this is an amazing question. I think that tech YouTube does really well at putting journalistic integrity over just an engaging video. And that is like a core value. Like I stress this all the time to the team. Like 
journalistic integrity will always come before sensationalizing something for clicks because I think like if you are not journalistically honest and if you do not tell people the truth, like in aggregate tech YouTube moves billions of dollars, right? Because we kind of impact every purchase decision, right? Think about how many millions of dollars Marquez has probably impacted every year. And so I think being journalistically honest and like being nuanced and covering bad stuff and good stuff, even if it's not flattering to a brand is so important. And I think that Sometimes on other niches in YouTube, you can get like really sensationalized where they're like, this thing is the worst thing in existence because that's what gets the clicks. But in tech YouTube, you can't do that. So maybe you'll get less clicks, but like it's an honest title. And so that's something that I think tech YouTube does really well. Another thing I think tech YouTube does well is quality. I think in other niches, there's a lot more of a focus on story, which I actually think in some ways is more important. And I would love to see tech YouTube continue to improve on storytelling, but I think that tech YouTube has the best quality videos of any niche. Like just in terms of sheer production value, it's pretty incredible and the bar is so high. So it's constantly inspiring for me. And I think that's one of the many things, honestly, like I cannot say enough good things about tech YouTube. I think it's the best niche on YouTube, obviously biased, of course. Okay. Last question here is when you look at the future of YouTube, and I'm asking myself this because I actually didn't have another question. So I'm making this up on the spot. Um, and the question is, when I look at the future of YouTube, what do I think it's going to, what do I think like the creator economy looks like? And I have, I was just talking to a friend recently who's also in the industry. And I think we both strongly feel that it's going to be media businesses for like the content creators that make you smarter, quote unquote, like content creators that educate you about finance or tech or other creators. I think that creating media businesses that are creator led is going to be how it's sustainable for creators. So whether that be creating other forms of media like podcasts or newsletters or articles or other like talk show YouTube videos, I think kind of expanding the media brand so it doesn't just rely on one person is going to be a huge thing, but it's going to be creator led. I think that that is where we will see creators really win. Yeah, I'm just so excited to be part of this community. I feel so grateful. I feel like the last two years were so difficult in some ways with being consistent with content for for a myriad reasons, both in my personal life, but then also globally with the pandemic, obviously. And so the last three weeks, we've posted three videos in a row and I'm feeling good about it. And I just want to try to keep up that consistency in a sustainable way. And yeah, I'm excited to embark on the second half of 2022, or I guess more than the second half. We have a lot more time left here. But yeah, I'm just excited. So grateful for you guys. Darsh will be back next week and it will be an awesome episode because I actually really missed having him here. And I missed our weekly chats. Normally before the podcast, we talk for like 30 minutes or an hour just about our lives and we give each other advice and stuff and it's a good time so hope you guys got to learn a little bit more about me and let me know on twitter if this is something that you guys dig at digital dive pod or at mbt jacqueline or if you're like oh like don't tell us about your life tell us about technology that would be helpful too our next episode will be tech based at 7 a.m central 8 a.m eastern thank you all so much for your support and love and just being here and listening i feel like it's just one of the most special relationships that you can have with an audience and yeah Thanks to Jill Costadine for the intro and outro music, and we will catch you in the next episode. All right. Bye, guys.